Father, we ask for your help now as we attempt to say a word to Kempton for his encouragement and for the confirmation of his calling and gifting. Lord, we ask that this whole evening would be a prophetic evening, that you would draw out of us words and prayers that would land with an equipping and an anointing and a gifting on Kempton that would last a lifetime. I ask this now in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Kempton, for the privilege of being a part of this service. What a high honor it is to be here with you. Next year marks 40 years since I sat where you sat at Lake Avenue Church in Pasadena, and I do believe that when they gathered around me and put their hands on me and prayed for me, God did something that lasted until this very moment. So this is a big deal for me and for you. This is not a small thing we're about. I thank you for the years we shared together as colleagues and Karen and you in a small group Sweet. It was so good. And <clears throat> I praise God for the call on your life. East St. Louis, you are the man for the work, and the good hand of God will be on you. Yes, he will. And what I want to do is direct your attention to a verse. You, don't, you know it by heart, probably. Not everybody does, but I think you probably do. It's Acts 20, 24, and it goes like this. Not that I count my life of any value or as precious to myself, if only. So the point there is, I don't regard my life as having any value except for this, that I might finish my race, my course, and the ministry that I've been given by the Lord Jesus, and then he names it to bear witness to the gospel of the grace of God. Now, that's the, the calling on every pastor, and it's the calling on you in East St. Louis. Don't count your life of any value, but for this one thing, I'm going to finish my race, going to keep the faith, going to fight the fight. And what is my race? I will bear witness to the good news of the grace of God. So, what I want to do is encourage you and clarify the meaning of grace. Grace is a very rich word. It is vast. And it is multi-layered in meaning and in usage in the New Testament. I'm not going to talk about all of its uses. I'm going to talk about the bottom one. Grace at root. Grace at deepest foundation. Grace at most decisive moment. And then I'm going to make a statement about that, and I'm going to give you four illustrations of it from the Bible, which you've experienced yourself. Here's my big claim about grace. 
Not all uses of grace, but the ones I'll be pointing to. Grace refers to the truth that God and God alone is the decisive cause at the bottom of your election, your new birth, your justification, and your daily life of faith and obedience. The bottom, nothing below it. And it is, grace is, God's grace is decisive. Whatever our role is in our salvation from eternity to eternity, it's not this one. Whatever our role is, it's not at the bottom, it's not decisive. Significant, yes. <laughs> Meaningful, yes. Decisive, never. Grace is. God is at the bottom of your election and your regeneration and your justification and your daily life of faith and obedience. Number one. What's at the bottom of your election? Romans 11:5. At the present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it. The rest were hardened. Romans 9:11. Though Jacob and Esau were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might stand, not according to works, but according to him who calls, it was said, the younger shall serve the older. No, the other way around. The elder shall serve the younger. Before they were born, before they had done anything, before anything decisive could be contributed by them at all, the choice was made. By grace. Second Timothy 1.9, God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. And then this amazing statement, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. You didn't exist, Kempton, when you got grace. Here's the way I would summarize those three passages. Before the creation of the world, God saw us in our sin. That's why we needed grace before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world, he saw us in our sin, and he chose from 
all those sinners a people for himself so that it would be clear that what was decisive in our being chosen, nothing that we contributed but our sin. But God alone, as it says in Romans 9.15, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion, so it depends not on man's will or running, but on God who has mercy. At the bottom of your election is nothing that you contribute, but grace alone. That is decisive. Second question, what is at the bottom of our new birth? What's decisive? in being born again. When we were dead in sin, God saw us in eternity and chose us. And when we were dead in sin, the Holy Spirit brooded over us and made us alive. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Here's the key question. Why did Paul break off his sentence and stick in, by grace you have been saved, and then pick up his sentence again? Read it again so you can hear that. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ and raised us up. That's not what he said. He stopped. So, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. Stop. Insert explanation. By grace you have been saved. Pick up the sentence and raised us with him and seated us in the heavenly places. Point. Grace is the moment of life from the dead, not you. It's not good to write a book on how to be born again. You can't do it. It's not the name of my book on the new birth. It's finally alive. What happens when we are born again? God happens. At the bottom of your new birth and all of your new births is grace alone. And you did not, dead men do not contribute anything to their life. Third question, what is at the bottom of your, of your justification? If you, O oh Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? Answer, what? Nobody. So we're going to stand before a holy judge who says, be perfect as I am perfect. And there is no hope that I will be able to stand there in any kind of acceptable performance. There is one hope that I might possibly be justified. 
I must be found righteous. I must be found holy. And I'm not. How can that be that heaven is so full? Romans 3.24, we are justified by his grace freely through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Titus 3.7, we are justified by his grace that we might become heirs in the hope of eternal life. Galatians 2.21, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died to no purpose. The Apostle Paul's, the Apostle Paul knows two ways to be justified. One, depending on the keeping of the whole law, called by works. And he knows another way depending on no law-keeping. Not 1%, and Jesus contributes 99, but on Christ, totally. Grace is all at the bottom of our justification, at the ground of our justification. Here's the way Paul puts it in Galatians 5, 2. If you accept circumcision, just want to make one little contribution. If you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. All or nothing. You want him, he's all. You want to share the foundation, you get nothing. This is called total grace. Right at the bottom of your justification. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision, he has to keep the whole law. Thus, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law, any amount. Answer, what's at the bottom of our justification? No contribution from you whatsoever. None. Whole law or no law, those are your options, but Christ. At the bottom of our justification is total grace, grace alone, not one millisecond of human effort will be added to the ground of your justification, namely Jesus. Finally, last question. What is at the bottom of your and Karen's daily life of faith and obedience? Shall you not strive to enter by the narrow gate? Shall you not pursue the holiness without which no one will see the Lord? Shall you not put to death the deeds of the body that you may live? Yes, you will.
in East St. Louis. And when you have done all, what will you say? I'd love to hear you finish this sermon. 1 Corinthians 15.10 By the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. But I worked harder than any of those other pastors in East St. Louis. Nevertheless, you will say, it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Totally at the bottom. Totally. At the bottom, he's decisive. In everything you do. You didn't, he didn't just get you started. Like marriage, totally. Grace at the bottom. And decisive. Philippians 2.12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It is for, don't leave out the most important word, for it is God who's at work in you, graciously to will and to work for his good pleasure. Philippians, Colossians chapter 1, verse 29. Let this be you. This is Paul. For this I toil, like presenting people in East St. Louis perfect to Jesus. For this I toil, struggling with all the energy he powerfully works within me. So what's the answer? What's at the bottom of your daily life of faith and obedience, grace is at the bottom. Decisive grace, not let's share this, Kempton. You can't share decisive. One is decisive or the other. It's either God or you. Theologies divide right there. We know what we believe. We love Grace, all the way down to the bottom. In election, in new birth, in justification, and in your daily life of obedience and faith, you will labor in East St. Louis. Yes, you will. So, conclusion. This is the best foundation for your life, your marriage, your parenting, your ministry. This word of grace is the best foundation, and it is the best news in all the world for East St. Louis. No one in East St. Louis will be able now to say to you, if you believe what I just said, no one will be able to say to you, my sins are too great and too many for me to be elect. And you know what you're going to say to that. You're going to pick them up by the collar. Don't you dare talk about God's sovereign election that way. There is zero condition you met. Nor could meet. Election is totally grace unconditional. You cannot rule yourself out by claiming to have sinned too many times or too deeply. It cannot be done. That's not the nature of election. This is good news for sinners. 
Second, no one in East St. Louis will be able to say, my sins are too many and too great and my habits too deep for God to give me new birth. You will look at them like, there's not deader than dead. There are no degrees of deadness. Dead is dead. And you're dead. It's worse than you think it is. Way worse. And I got a message for you. The wind blows where it wills. We don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. Third, no one in East St. Louis will be able to say, I could never contribute enough to my righteousness for any judge to acquit me. Oh, won't it be great to make the gospel plain? You will say, well, <laughs> the judge the judge won't let you contribute anything at all. <laughs> Don't even think about it. Christ contributed all. So you can just calm down off of that idea of contribution. You don't. He did. And finally, no one in East St. Louis will be able to say, I won't be able to live the Christian life. I'm too weak and too defiled. Because no one can live the Christian life. Period. It can't be done. Miracles can't happen by human causality. And life is a miracle. No one is decisive in causing his own obedience. Say it again. No one, no one is at the bottom decisive in causing his own obedience. Therefore, you can say to him, no, of course you can't, and neither can I. God can. God will. This is your message, Captain, and this is your life. I don't count my life of any value or as precious to myself, if only. I might finish my race in East St. Louis and the ministry I have been given by the Lord, which he has, that I might bear witness, power, authentic, full of the Holy Spirit, that I might bear witness to the gospel of the grace of God. Amen. Here's what's happening next. I'm going to have, in a minute, Karen and Kempton stand. Karen is here to support. She's not being ordained. 
And we're so glad she's just all in. So she's going to stand by him in prayer and in vows. So I'm going to ask him questions. He's going to make promises. It's like a marriage, only this is not a marriage to a church. It's a marriage to ministry. Yes, it is. Big deal. And then we're going to pray, and then we're going to sing, and then we're going to eat. Join me, both of you. Stand to my right here, me Kempton here, and Karen there. I will ask these questions. Kempton will respond as God leads him. You'll be praying. Whenever I do a wedding, I, I, I pray just in my mind as I ask the vows, I pray give them a lifelong commitment to this. I don't assume it, I pray it because he's decisive. Moved by your love for God and a sincere desire to to teach and proclaim his word among men, will you now take upon you this holy ministry of the gospel of God's grace and faithfully serve in it? I will with the Lord Jesus being my helper by the power of the Spirit. Will you tend the flock of Christ committed to your care? taking the oversight of it, not by constraint, but willingly, not for worldly gain, but that men might come to trust in his free grace and give him glory. I will with the Lord as my helper by the power of the Holy Spirit. Will you make faithful effort to duly administer the ordinances in purity? to preach the word of the everlasting God, to proclaim the gospel of the grace of God in Christ, to lead disciples into the presence of God and his healing spirit, to minister to them the truth of God as contained in the holy, infallible scriptures, to give them a vision for world missions, to guide them in the way of life, which is Christ, that they may be found in him and be claimed for the joy of his service in his kingdom. I will. The Lord Jesus is my helper by the power of the Spirit. Will you promise to be diligent in prayer, in the reading of the scriptures, and in such studies and devotions as will increase your knowledge of God and his kingdom. I will with the Lord Jesus as my helper by the power of the Spirit. Will you put your hope fully in the promises of God, give heed to his warnings in humility, and for the joy that is set before you, strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord will with the Lord Jesus is my helper by the power of the Spirit. And will you, in the footsteps of our Master Shepherd, seek to love the people in your charge, to teach them, admonish them, warn them, encourage them in public and private, that they might cleave only to Christ and be found in him your joy 
at the coming of our Lord. I will with the Lord Jesus as my helper by the power of the Spirit. In view of God's manifest call on your life and your spirit-given willingness to make these promises, we will now pray over you and lay our hands upon you and set you apart for this calling and ask the Lord to give you everything you need to finish your course. So as they kneel, elders, pastors, anyone in the room who's ordained, please come. Let's make a circle around them, and then Bud's going to lead us in how we should do this. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us, us, to God and pray in this moment. And in Jesus' name, therefore, we pray with faith to come into his presence boldly, humbly, yet boldly. I have the privilege of opening. Kenny will close and the brothers will pray in the middle. And you get to pray all the way through it. We pray with birds. You pray in your heart. Such a moment, it cost Jesus his blood. He gave it willingly. Let's pray. Dear brother, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. May the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ himself restore you, confirm you, strengthen you, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. May the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you, brother, with everything good that you may do his will, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight, to whom be glory forever and ever. May the Lord of peace give you peace at all times and every way. The Lord be with you. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. May the Lord of peace sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. May the Lord bless you and keep you and Make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Lift up his countenance upon you. And Kimpton, may he keep you in perfect peace. Now unto him was able to keep you from stumbling, to present you blameless before the presence of his glory. With great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Almighty God, I pray now for a lifelong anointing on Kempton Turner for the pastoral leadership that you're calling him to. I pray for extraordinary courage in East St. Louis. I pray for Solomon-like, cut-the-baby-in-half urban wisdom. 
when he won't know what to say in himself, but will say exactly the right thing. I pray for the most extraordinary combination of boldness and brokenheartedness so that the proud people of East St. Louis will not intimidate him and the weak people in East St. Louis will not be put off by him that there will be a lamb likeness to his lion heartedness. I pray that he will have absolutely astonishing insight into your holy word. He will get up off his knees after his sermon preparation and explode with God-given prophetic truth for his people. Oh God, come. Come and touch him. Let the good hand of God be on him for every aspect of this ministry.